The Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center is a Peel Region nonprofit organization serving BIPOC youth who are either experiencing or are at risk of experiencing homelessness, supporting them to change their story, discover new possibilities, and shelter dignity. This podcast, Homelessness and Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, is an uncensored discussion of content that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Personal discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Homelessness and Hiding, Our Youth Between the Cracks, a podcast discussing youth homelessness in our communities while elevating the voices of those with lived experience and the people on the front lines fighting against it. In this episode, we discuss social media, an interesting new set of technology that is taking over our lives for better or for worse. Let's talk about the dangers we see and the frustrations we have with it in the context of youth health and well-being and societal impact, change, and protection. Where is social media useful? Where is it harmful? How have we and others like us seen the detrimental impacts of social media on our own generations and on the way humans interact with each other, the world, and ourselves? I'm Maya Moniz, your host for this episode, and today I sit with Cheyenne Smalling and Rachel Dew, the Executive Assistant and Social Media Manager at REST. They both bring their experiences as young people to discuss a topic that inundates all of our lives and will for the foreseeable future. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Cheyenne and Rachel. How are you both doing? I'm doing well. It's nice to be here, Maya. Hi, Maya. It's really nice to be in person finally. It is really nice to be in person. One thing I will say is that this podcast is a little bit different. I'm actually down in the REST office in Brampton, Ontario, and I'm speaking with two, actually, of my colleagues who work with me at REST. So that said, can you both please introduce yourselves? Cheyenne, get us started. Hi, everyone. I'm Cheyenne. I'm 24 years old. I am the executive assistant at REST. Um, As the title suggests, I assist the executive who is Dag McCoy, wonderful woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and how about you, Rachel? I'm Rachel and I'm 18 years old. I just graduated from high school and I am an intern at Rest Centers. I work with the social media, so I post on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and LinkedIn when anyone needs me for any updates. And I will definitely need you soon. I got a lot coming our way. We're certainly running the gambit regarding age. We got 18 and 24. I'm in the middle at 21. And I think the fact that we are all so young is actually pretty helpful because of what we're going to talk about today. So we are discussing social media and kind of how it's changed the way the world works and especially how young people get into the mix of that. And the whole point of discussing this on this podcast is I just really want to elevate the voices of young people because young people are the next generation who have the ideas ready to go about what we can do to make a difference. So that said, Rachel, what would you like to get out of our conversation today? Honestly, I'm not quite sure, but I'm hoping to get like a diverse perspective of how social media affects the youth. And just basically since I'm the youngest out of all, all of us, so I'm hoping that maybe a different perspective, it could be anything. So, How about you, Cheyenne? Um, for me, I guess it's just wanting to express kind of the things that I see oftentimes on social media and just express my concern, to be honest, with how uh, social media is impacting particularly young persons. And also, yeah, getting a feel of, um, you know, the perspective as well of other youth 
how it impacts them and how we could possibly change that net narrative. Absolutely. And I'm honestly very excited for this conversation. I was putting together the questions with the help of both of you, actually. And the more I kind of started putting some work into it, the more excited I really got to really have this discussion, facilitate these ideas and see where it goes. I'm going to start off by giving us and the audience a little bit of an intro to social media. Many-to-many communication, which can be defined as the mass sharing of information to a group or multiple groups of people, has only really become commonplace in the last 15 to 20 years. Wikis, or websites that allow collaborative editing content and structure, such as Wikipedia, are another form of many-to-many communication. But certainly, what we're all here to discuss today is what we're much more familiar with in this vein, and that is social media. So websites like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit, LinkedIn, and more are all examples of many-to-many communication which is interesting given that all of these websites have vastly different uses, user interfaces, users, and cultures. And that's something we're certainly going to get into a little bit later. But that said, I think we should get started by defining our biases. So Rachel, how do you find yourself using social media on a day-to-day basis? For me, I like to go on to see my updates. I like to see the news sometimes. I guess like I don't really read the newspaper, so I see what my friends post what my friends would send me maybe my even my brother and I would talk on Instagram I feel like it's been a huge part of my life I guess I I don't even notice until I say it out loud now but I mean I basically use it for everything even to see like the latest maybe clothing trend I would even go check it out and stuff and Cheyenne how about you how are you using social media um (laughs) I have a struggle relationship with social media I'm one of those that will like have it on and then I'll take it off and I'll have it on again because sometimes it's almost like I think I saw something but like it's like endless scrolling that can be a thing for me um, which I really don't like because I tend to spend too much time on there and then I just find myself really just engulfed in like the things that I see and it, it feels really overwhelming at times so I try to use it to I guess share with that community my network but at the same time it can be a lot of information that I'm taking in. I'm very much the same as well, Cheyenne, regarding, you know, being on and off for so long. Well, nowadays, actually, I should start by saying I'm very much off social media, like most of the time, which is really funny because my job is content creation. (laughs) So I see the irony in that for sure. But I find myself very much against just social media in general. I find that it makes me an angrier person. It makes me more upset. And I am going to disclose a little more about like why all this is a little down the line. But just generally, I just find that me being off social media, I have a better time with it. However, I will say the one thing that I cannot get rid of is YouTube. I watch YouTube all of the time. I'm probably subscribed to like over 100 channels. I really like the YouTube shorts feature, which is the equivalent of TikTok. And I, I know it's just, it's how I consume TikTok. Because if a TikTok is good enough, it will be re-uploaded to other platforms. So (laughs) on that front, that's how I sort of filter my TikTok content. Um, But that said, for the most part, I really don't find myself using most social media. So coming off the backs of that, we all have different relationships with social media. Cheyenne, as it stands, what about social media upsets you? What about it fascinates you? Very interesting question. (laughs) I think for me, it's more so the content without saying too much, I think sometimes the the things that I see, um, when you have certain expectations for particular persons, 
uh, and you don't see that, it's just a little bit grievous, to be honest. And uh, I think one of the biggest things as well is uh, when you have persons who you can clearly see are not credible or qualified in the areas that they're speaking to or they're speaking about, and you have like a number of people that are following them and they're agreeing to these things that are blatant lies and foolishness. It's just a really grievous thing to see in our generation. I mean, I'm coming from a journalistic background as well in terms of fact checking. And I think that's what a lot of um, several young people lack and just people on it on a whole. Because, you know, you think something sounds good, but you're not really checking against truth. Like, is this true? Is this credible? Is this something that I should hold to and then pass on to other people? So that's something that's really upsetting for me. Um, on the other hand, something that fascinates me, um, I think it's just the ability to connect with people who are like on the other side of the world, like just being able to connect with people who are just right here in your community, but you may not have that, um, the accessibility to reach them face to face, right? So I think that it enables people to use it in a, in a destructive way. It also enables us to um, be able to to communicate and connect in a way that we wouldn't be able to do face to face. That makes a lot of sense. And I like the sort of twofold presentation you have with it, because I've heard social media be considered, these aren't the exact terms, but either liberation technology, or I want to say destruction technology. I know the second one's not quite there. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of the Arab Spring and how social media was a huge, huge, huge part in sort of liberating um, politically much of the Middle East. I don't quite remember the specifics about that. I'll put some links in the description that can explain it a little better than I can. But I just know social media was a huge thing for that. But then also thinking about the sort of destructive powers of social media, like you've discussed, and people not really fact-checking. We've seen some strides in this area. We've seen some improvements, but I still think we have a long way to go. Rachel, how about you? I honestly agree with Cheyenne. I feel like there's a lot of like false information that are being spread. And honestly, I sometimes think to myself, like, why do I even like follow these pages? Like, it's just, it's just not telling me stuff that are useful in my life. What is the point? It's just wasting my time that I'm just reading it and then trying to share it. Like, just basically making me waste a huge amount of time. And like, I just see upsetting is how like, when there was the Rogers uh, outage, remember if we, it was a couple of days ago? Mm-hmm. At times, at the time of recording, yes, we are just coming off of that. But, you know, down, down the line, this will be the great outage of 2022. <laughs> Sorry, please continue. Yes, it's so crazy how it affected me so much. Like, when I needed to share like content as my job, like I need to post online, there was no one looking at it because no one could see it. Like it wasn't visible. Like how could I share some information <laughs> that at people that actually need to see it like at a time? And then I find it like crazy how much how much it, it harms not just businesses as well. Like even the fact that giants said like a person's mental well being, it's just like the information isn't right and maybe you could be brainwashed and thought of these certain ways when you knew it was wrong but you still somehow just twisted it to believe that it was right Mm -hmm. you also just really raised a good point that relates to one of my other questions which is just how social media is an essential part of life in the gta now and i think you could really like you've already done it you can extrapolate that question to be how is internet now such an essential part of life in canada even really just discussing the fact that we're so intertwined with social media and the internet in general to the point where if for whatever reason 
what ended up being 25% of the country did not have internet for one to three days. When that happened, so much of the world honestly kind of fell apart, or rather so much of Canada kind of fell apart. So that was a really strong connection you made. How would you say that social media is an essential part of life? Um, For me, I revolve around it now. Like, I mean, yeah, I would live in the internet, basically, in my life. My job is to post content online, and I use it even, like, when I go home to, like, entertainment-wise. Like, for YouTube, I'd watch. Instagram, I'd go to check on news. Um, TikTok, I'd see for, like, something to laugh at a moment. Twitter, I'd see something that's in the moment of, like, what are people talking about. Facebook, I could see, like, my families and what they're posting about. I feel like without it, I mean... I don't know what I would do. I wouldn't know if I would read a book or I have books, but I mean, I would rather use my phone. It's just more accessible and entertaining at that point. For me, I am really trying to reverse that. I, I don't want social media and internet to be a essential part of my life because I see where just that sensory exhaustion it really has an impact on me. And I don't like that. I don't want to depend as much on technology as I do. But like, this is something I use for my notes for journaling, um, to communicate with friends and family. And so I almost feel like where we're put in position sometimes, and I can only speak for for my uh, country or my culture, I feel like we're put in a position sometimes where like, we have to depend in a sense on technology, because like you have things now, where it's like, if you want to attend this or you want to um, get to this service, you have to go online. So it feels like, you know, you're trying not to depend on technology, but it feels like you're forced to because of the way that technology has impacted our culture. I really like the point you made about the fact that even if you don't want to, we're kind of forced to revolve around technology and social media. Like for me personally, I'm on LinkedIn don't really like LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, really don't like Facebook. And again, I really, I rarely use these spaces, but I have a presence on these spaces because it's important for my job and it's important for networking and communications. So I very much feel you on that front, as well as you, Rachel, on social media just becoming an absolute time sink. For me, I think I've more or less weaned myself from Instagram, but Instagram really was my vice, like I said before. Like I would delete it during the school year because it would become such a time sink. And speaking of the forced nature that we feel to be connected with social media, I actually want to segue into my first topic, which is discussing social media, self-esteem, and mental health. And to do that, I kind of want to get started by discussing what I'm calling and what others have called the doomerism complex, or what is a more popular buzzword, doom scrolling. I'm going to introduce doom scrolling through Sarah Zed, who is a young popular content creator on YouTube who discusses social phenomena and media consumption through video essays. And in 2020, she released a video called Rise of the Doomer, Why So Many People Are Giving Up. The link is in the description as well, but I just want to talk about the introduction a little bit. A doomer in this context is a meme caricature of a depressed 20-something who is depressed because they feel that everything in the world is fundamentally hopeless. In the introduction of this video, Sarah shares the following anecdote. When it comes to voting, attending protests, using large social media followings to positively influence one's audience, it's so hard to see the impact that that really has. And so it's easy to just shut down from it all a lot of the time and just go about your day with this nagging sensation that everything is wrong. 
She goes on to say that over the last few weeks, I've noticed something. And it's that the despair I see on Twitter, on Facebook, among my real life friends is getting worse and worse. I see the rhetoric of, quote, none of this matters. We're all going to die soon. I don't understand how we're expected to live in a world where everything is terrible and constantly falling apart. She further goes on to explain activist burnout or the concept of people learning more and more about what's happening in the world and realizing that there's very little that they can do to fight it all all at once. However, Sarah qualifies this definition to state that she believes that one doesn't need to be a heavy-duty 24-7 activist on social media to feel the depression and despair that comes with discovering the world. Between personal stressors and the constant saturation by social media sites in the news about how terrible the world is, more and more people are becoming disillusioned with society and believe that all of our current problems are impossible to fix and will only cause more problems. This is honestly where I really start to struggle with social media, and this is why I need to stay away from it as much as possible. I think the popular buzzword over the last five to seven years is the existential crisis, or a moment of deep reflection in which one questions oneself's purpose in the world and whether one's life has any meaning at all. I find that these feelings are heightened when I go on social media with the explicit intent to unwind and cool off. But then I find myself inundated with heavy political and social topics that are important to engage with, but I'm aggressively not in the headspace to do so. And then that really messes with my mental state for days at a time. So my question with all of that considered, have you witnessed or experienced the same feeling of loss, stress, and despair? as a result of the dark things you have seen about the world through social media? Um, honestly, I have. And I'd say I kind of experienced this through like when I was younger, when I just started joining onto a, a social medias, because I find it very hard to accept what reality was when I was like a bit younger. But obviously, as I grew, I was like understanding that I can take action and change. Like if I want to do something about it, I shouldn't just be sad. Uh, no offense to anyone, like, not trying to, like, harm anyone's feelings, but it's just, in my opinion, I think that, like, I want to keep updated with Instagram or any social media platform, but obviously, I should be following the people I want to follow, and then if they're giving good information that I like about the reality of the world, I guess I have to, like, accept what it is, like, the world is the world. I can't just try to, you know, doctor it and see how, oh, yeah, this is a fantasy, and, and just try to, like, not do anything about it and get really you know affecting my whole life i just want to think that my life is going to be you know not full of flowers but sometimes it's going to be you know sad um i think for me the stress more so comes in just with the overload of information um but to be honest when i see the negative um and i don't know if i use the word negative but when i see Uh, a lot of weighty and just, you know, saddening uh, kind of news, it does have an effect on my emotions. And I believe Rachel had had touched about this, like, you know, we get to a certain point in our life or stage where we can take action on certain things. And for me, I think there's always something that we can do. But if I cannot, if I feel like I cannot really do something to aid this situation, I don't see the point of taking it on as a burden. You know, I'd rather just tackle one, you know, affair that's happening in the world and, you know, try to figure out like, what can I do? How can I be a part of this solution rather than taking on 18 different things? And I'm probably not going to be as effective in aiding that in whatever way I can, as I would if I just, you know, targeted one, two, three um, different situations that are taking place and just make myself available to be a voice or 
help in whatever way I can. Mm, okay, that makes sense. I like that both of you touched on this because it was also one of my follow-up questions because I personally believe that, again, it's important to remain diligent and aware of like the world's problems, whether they directly or indirectly impact you or not. But I feel for the sake of everyone's well-beings, there has to be a limit. And I feel both of you spoke to kind of what that limit is. And I really like how Cheyenne put it, just that if you can't have an active stake in something, then you shouldn't let it burden you, if that makes sense. Because then it's just, it's a weight on your shoulders that you quite literally cannot get rid of. It's, I think, the the the, the line that we use to kind of measure where where we stop is can we have an active foot on this to to contribute to the solution or are we just taking on things uh, weighing ourselves down and that's not going to be helping those who are involved in you know the affair that's going on in the world anyways so just the saying that like you know if you're an empty cup like you can't fill somebody else so there's no point of trying to go on empty like you're burdened down but you're trying to release somebody of their burden that doesn't make any sense you don't have that capacity so we have to make sure that we're caring for our mental health understanding that that's going to positively affect those who we're actually trying to help in the community or whatever sphere that would take place on speaking about how it's affecting our mental health i think that's a good time to kind of segue into that part of the conversation how do you think social media is impacting the mental health of young people? I think people are really thinking, like, well, the youth would be kind of, you know, they're kind of new to everything. So like for me, when I just joined in like social media platforms, I wasn't sure of how to get like do stuff. So then obviously having like these all these information tossed at me, I was overwhelmed and kind of confused and didn't know how to like just take it all in at once. So then I would just kind of like get pressured to think that society has this huge expectation of like, you know, a certain perfection of a person's body should look like this or gorgeous like this. Girls can't be pretty in a certain way or something like that. I guess like it was just so a picture like you would just draw it out as a kid, like a like a Barbie doll, I'd say in my uh, perspective. Like if you think about Barbie doll, you kind of think they're, you know, skinny, they're like perfect in shape, they're tall, they're this and that and they're blonde we're obviously moving away from, you know, just perfection in that certain way. Like everyone is perfection. Everyone's perfection in a different way. Everyone's different, right? So before that, there wasn't that. So I would obviously think that life was full of these certain ways that we should be and we shouldn't be different and we should be more likely the same, I'd say. So it kind of affects our mental well-being. Yeah, no, Rachel, I think that's so good. Like, first of all, confused, that is the word. I mean, like there's so many opportunities to be drawn in many directions. And I can't speak for every young person, but I find that we have a generation where, you know, they just want to be for everything. And I believe like you have to stand for something and stand firm in it. Else you risk just living a very insecure and unstable life. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And then as Rachel touched on, it's the societal ideals. So if you're here, for example, is not red and everyone else's is red or the majority is red, then it's like, you know, you kind of feel like, oh, what's wrong with me? When there's really nothing wrong with you, but you have one person who's maybe doing it for, you know, they, they feel like they want to um, have their hair red. That's what they like. They feel like that represents their style. But then you have 99 other people who are just doing it because everybody else is doing it, right? 
And so you're judging yourself against somebody or something that is not the standard. And I think that like I know personally for me, it has affected me just not seeing a lot of representation for my values. So I see a lot of, of, of women and just people who model a life that's very contrary to my values. And it's hard for me going on social media. I'm trying to find people who really represent that. And it's it's tough. But um, so I agree with Rachel, like just a lot of these images that young persons, especially being vulnerable, more vulnerable, not having as much experience as, you know, mature persons, um, we're going on there and we're seeing the majority and we're thinking that's the standard and we're not really being taught sometimes um, to appreciate our own uniqueness and build on that. And I think that speaks a lot to, I guess, just generally the sort of like culture slash status quo that kind of develops on certain social media sites. Like, Again, I am honestly so disconnected at this point. It's been years since I've consistently used most social media sites. But just thinking about how, you know, Instagram is sort of the model, uh, well, like model as in the example, but model as in model central where everyone's posting, you know, like, like pretty pictures and their big night outs and, you know, everything that is perfect about their lives posting almost exclusively the parts of life that are unrealistic for most people to model themselves after or to even like think of engaging with. And then you also have Twitter where everyone is just angry and sad and wanting to kill each other. (laughs) Uh, And then like, I don't know, like I feel like so many of these different social medias have such different, I guess, cultures And if you don't find yourself identifying just inherently with any of these cultures, like you were saying how on Instagram, it's really hard for you, Cheyenne, to find your own values sort of reflected in what people are posting, just because you have the young person who, you know, they grow up in this space, and they find themselves identifying with the things they see, because, you know, that's how they come to believe what the world is. Um, But then you also have the cohort of young people who look at this and just inherently deep down, they don't really identify with it. And then that's where that confusion comes in. And then if we're talking about some of the things that we see on social media, I feel like sexualization of young people is just getting to an absolute all time high. And it makes me like grossly uncomfortable. But I don't even know if we have time to get into that, to be honest. I don't even know if I'm like the professional or I'm not a professional, but I don't even know if I'm the person to speak to that. But you have the people who identify with things that honestly, they shouldn't be identifying with because they're way too young and don't understand the gravity of what they're doing. Or you just have people who don't identify at all and then find themselves like lost, I guess, with no real like online home, if that makes sense. It kind of reminds me as well of all of the sort of campaigns that have been happening on some social media sites in recent years, where there's this push to hide interaction metrics from users at large. So And like they say that it's meant to preserve the mental health of the users, but then they still show, and I'm going to explain what I mean, but they still show that the things that they're hiding from the public, they're still showing to the content creator and therefore whose mental health are you really protecting? But what I'm referring to in all this is how, for example, Instagram has hidden like counts from outfacing viewers, meaning that only the poster of any given content can see the exact number of likes that anything has. YouTube has done something similar, but on the opposite side of the spectrum by hiding dislike metrics in order to prevent what they call harassment campaigns or the aggressive disliking of a creator's videos. YouTube has also changed how the subscriber counts are viewed for very similar reasons. And again, they say it's all meant to 
you know, preserve mental health. But I personally am a little bit skeptical of that. And I kind of would like to know what you two think. So Cheyenne, I'll start with you. How do you think these attempts and others like them by social media companies are actually impacting user experience and cultures in these spaces? I'm so sorry. Like, I, I just, I feel laughter right now because I feel like a lot of times, um, and I don't want to accuse these platforms, but I feel like a lot of times they're just trying to save face and have a particular image because I, as you said, like, I don't see how, how is this really helping or protecting the mental health, the emotional health? For example, Instagram hiding the like counts. I could still see if two people only liked the best picture of my life. <laughs> you know what I would consider that. But to me, it's just like, it's just like, to be honest, how our generation could be at times. I mean, there's something going on and you don't even have a passion or a heart for whatever is happening, the cause, but you jump on it because everybody else is jumping on it. Everybody else seems to jump on it. So it just feels like these, these, um, these social platforms are just trying to look like, you know, they're aiding a, a problem that is obvious, very obvious um, in this time. But it, I don't really see how it's making a difference. Mm, and you touched on something really interesting there. And it's the performative nature of social media. I see it especially on Instagram, where you've already said it, essentially, people, you know, they don't really care about something. But they hop on the cause because everyone's hopping on the cause and you're going to get burned at the stake if you don't also hop on the cause, even if it's something that you recognize you're not connected to, or if not connected to but like you just you don't really maybe you're not the demographic that's really being impacted best example i can give is that a lot of my white friends for example feel really uncomfortable you know having a voice on issues that are um, impacting black people or other people of color and usually what their reason is is that i am not a person of color these are experiences that i will never have in the same way that other people have them and therefore i'm going to stop talking and you know what Sometimes I ask them about their opinions on things, and sometimes I really respect when they say stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. You struck a chord with that one. That's why it's so important to have a ground to stand on, else you risk just falling for anything or stepping back when you really should have a voice and your voice can be really impactful in your community or whatever the sphere is that you're in. Um, it's so important to know what to stand for and to stand for it, even if the majority is not in agreement with you. And like, that's twofold too, because you want to be open and receptive to other perspectives and things. And you want to have that dialogue, but then you need to have a ground to stand on before you can start expanding that land or letting people expand into you. But that said, to get back on track, Rachel, what are your thoughts on the situation about preserving the mental health of users through hiding metrics? Honestly, I feel like it's just useless. <laughs> Say a lot for the people in the back. It's really like, I don't find the point in it. Like, I honestly, an easier term for when Cheyenne talked about like bandwagging, like just trying to hop on that trend when everyone else is doing it, even though your opinions might not align with it, then just doing it because you want maybe a more user on that platform. You want people to go onto your platform and be like, oh, this platform is actually good because we follow the trend. Like, it doesn't really make sense because what is the point? Like, is, they're still going to see it. So what are you helping them for? Advocate for something else, a better way for helping their mental well-being is better than just trying to offer this kind of useless feature, in my opinion. Part of this discussion is to get 
your voices out there and to get your opinions heard. So Rachel, if this is a useless feature, what's something you would recommend instead? What do you think that we can do regarding social media consumption to make it safer for youth? On the spot right now, I don't have any great suggestions. I'd say something like at, at some point we can't control. For example, the youth can choose at what age they're presenting themselves on Instagram. But then you wouldn't know it, what age they are actually. Like I could say like when I was 14, I could say I was 18. I could lie about my age and then just join onto that platform. But then obviously I feel like even any information be spreaded on Instagram should be run through by like the head office just because let's say there's false information or information that is just, you know, very harmful to not even just youth, like any individual at all. Like I find like, for example, seniors are also very vulnerable to understand or fall for anything. Like I feel like honestly at this point, my dad falls for anything on Facebook like any scams, he's like, oh, it's uh, because of Facebook or like something like that. Like, it's like, I understand, like, you just don't follow it. Like, I feel like they should really reduce that, like that, those bots, like try to just cut them down. But I feel like it's not working. One thing I will say that like, I have seen, and like, these sort of features are very much still in their infancy, and they still have a long way to go, in my opinion. But I will say that to a small degree, I think some platforms are doing things. The biggest example I can think of is I believe YouTube does it. YouTube and I think Instagram also did it. Is that whenever someone said the the phrase COVID-19, there was always a banner that linked to, I think, the WHO website. That So it's like, no matter what the video was talking about regarding COVID-19, there was a direct resource from YouTube, from Instagram, that linked to the World Health Organization and what they were saying about COVID. So that's one thing that I can think of that is kind of speaking to what you are suggesting should be on a much broader scale. And I agree. The other thing that I can think of, too, is I believe Facebook. And I think there honestly may have been like documentaries about this, to be honest, because of how crazy it got. But Facebook, I believe, does have like a human department that is just dedicated to, I believe, people reviewing posts that get reported. And it was a lot of people kind of coming out saying that they were employees or former employees of Facebook that were, you know, their job was just to review reported content. And a lot of people like were really scarred by that experience because of how horrific some of the stuff is. I'm not even saying this to say like, oh, you're wrong. And that's not what we should be doing, Rachel. Like, that's not it at all. I think it's like, we need something to kind of verify and fact check and police a lot of the content that gets up on these on these platforms. But I just I kind of wish there was a way that didn't have to expose so many people to such nasty stuff. So it sounds like kind of what you were suggesting is that there's some sort of verification process that happens either by a person, but maybe by like, and again, there's a whole algorithm conversation in this too. Like there's a whole AI conversation. But just thinking of a way to stop things from being posted before they're posted rather than people having to see them and then report them. And then more people have to be subjected to seeing that content and then make like a snap judgment about it, if that makes sense. I wanted to mention how like I did have a conversation in class about in one of my classes about if we were to reduce our content, like having them sent to like a content department and they would review before posting, wouldn't that kind of restrain from freedom of speech in your opinion? Like, what would you guys say about that? See, and like that's, that is also the other thing too. Personally, I'm still kind of struggling to decide where I stand on freedom of speech because it's like, it's the same thing. It's like, if you go outside, you are consenting to see what you see in the world, but then there's a certain stance where it's like 
okay, but I'm not consenting to see someone reveal themselves to me in a sexual manner. Like, I don't know. So it's like, I personally really do struggle about where I stand on that front. But I, I think that's, that is a really good point to raise. Like if we are checking everything before it goes up, at what point does that become suppressive? And you'd have to be really careful too about who you are giving the power to. Because if you're not picking an impartial party who is really just going to follow the rules, stick to the guidelines, if if you're going to pick someone who's going to let their opinion get in the way, then you're going to get some really messy situations very quickly. Yeah, no, wow. That's, that's a really good um, point. Because yeah, it's like that struggle between, okay, like we have to have a... Ah, yeah, because I mean, freedom of speech is something, particularly in Canada, right? But even in freedom of speech, like, we can all agree there are some things that are just offensive. Like, you know what I mean? They're harmful to any human being, no matter what culture, religion you come from, just a fundamental human right that we ought to be respected, right? But it's now determining, like you said, Maya, like, who's going to stand in that position to kind of determine that. I, I think determine is a very strong word, but who's going to kind of facilitate that, right? Because it can become very subjective and then that's a whole nother problem. And just going back to even uh, what Rachel was saying about, or the question rather, you know, what kind of system can we put into play to kind of aid this this um, issue that comes up with things that people post on social media that's harmful? You know, I thought about the Gmail. I, I you must know like the gmail when they have the different suggestions like thank you or okay got it you know those like those words that pop up i'm just thinking like you know why not incorporate that kind of system on instagram give people encouraging statements not that they're going to use it but kind of just give somebody something to feed off of like yeah this is something that you can say to you know bring some positive light to the post instead of being negative and harmful and you know flagging certain words or certain statements like Come on, we do a lot with technology. I don't think that that's something that's that's too hard to ask, right? If they can flag certain statements that that um that are about to be posted, like you said, Maya, if we can catch it before it gets posted, then that's even better. Before we get back to discussing social media with Cheyenne and Rachel, I want to take a moment to touch base with you, the listener. If you're interested in joining the conversation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube so we can hear your thoughts on today's episode and you can let us know what you want to see in the future. I would also like to offer a huge thank you to the Butel Goodman Charitable Foundation for their generous donation and support of our programming. It's because of foundations like you that we can continue to serve BIPOC youth in Peel. Rest provides a wide variety of services that center around shelter, living, healing, and growing. Our biggest flagship program is the Bridge of Hope, a socially innovative approach to preventing youth homelessness. In collaboration with our bridge builders, the landlords we work with to house and build the capacity for youth to live independently, the Bridge of Hope program provides youth with a sense of belonging that can only be found in a stable home. We are always looking for new bridge builders, so if you have extra space for rent and are interested in housing a youth in need, or if you want to otherwise volunteer with rest centers, send an email to info at restcenters.org. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-S-T-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn how you can get involved. If you want to stay in the loop about what REST is doing to help our community shelter dignity and support youth experiencing homelessness, you can get to know us on LinkedIn or subscribe to the REST Center's newsletter for updates. 
And most importantly, if you are a youth in Peel experiencing or are at risk of experiencing homelessness, we are here to help. Give us a call at 905-863-1118 to get in touch. Now, back to the episode. Getting into the second part of what I really wanted to talk about today, I really wanted to talk about how social media has changed the way that youth and people in general have really changed the way they interact with the world. And when I say with the world, I do mean like with social justice issues, with other youth, with adults, with institutions, organizations, corporations, and with themselves. Because I really do think that social media and just the proximity to technology and many to many communication that allows us to be so connected, but not really in approximate space. On a fundamental level, I think that has changed the way we address things and we view things. So that said, I'm going to start off with Rachel. How would you say that social media has changed the way young people interact with the world and each other? Um, I'm not sure how to answer that question, honestly. I think... I think it's get it, it makes us different though. Like compared to years before, since a lot of the youth then wouldn't have technology, they would be forced to talk to each other, play outside, and you know, just trying to hang out whenever possible, like physically. But now I think it's very hard since we get to we we basically rely on technology to talk to each other that we don't want to meet each other in real life because we say that there's not an essential need if we can just basically call each other on the phone facetime each other like there's no need for us just to physically need a physical contact even though like covid has really made us feel like we took it for granted that you know we should have been hanging outside and stuff at that certain point we only care about it now but then we also miss the point that we want to stay home like we just end up going back to normal like just being on the internet and talking from there and then using technology and stuff. I sense that a lot of um, persons have misaligned motives and they kind of, they're almost like a leaf in the wind rather than acting like a unique soul where they're not approaching social issues based on values, but based on popularity and what the crowd is saying, right? So um, I think we get to see a lot more of that and it's a little bit alarming. It's concerning, to be honest, for the future when we have young persons who and it's not everybody, but it's a lot, to be honest, where they're just they're just following the crowd. But who's really standing, um, having a standard, you know what I mean? Having a firm foot in that they're not going to be just jumping on things, whether it's like two contradicted things, but they're just hopping on it because the crowd is hopping on it. I think a lot of people have noticed the sort of bandwagon-esque nature of all of this as well. Just because there's those posts that come up, like, actually, I remember. So in 2020, um, when George Floyd was murdered um, and the world erupted in, in what was waved to the Black Lives Matters protests, everyone was on the front lines for that as much as they could be. But then in a few weeks, you know, I mean, credit where credit is due. People were talking about that for months and months and months and are still talking about it to this day. But even still, you know, there was that drop off that all sort of social media topics experienced after a few weeks, just because the cycle of popularity on social media is so fickle. Um, When the standard drop off did happen around that, you saw a lot of posts by a lot of performative or performative activists about just because you're not seeing it on your timeline anymore doesn't mean that black lives don't matter. And there was a lot of that sort of like guilt tripping because again, you're 
that's that's correct. Black lives still matter. They always matter. But I feel like people weren't really, you know, even though they saw what you were describing, Cheyenne, about the bandwagon effect, I don't think they were going about it the right way by trying to guilt people or to make them feel like they're not doing enough or they're not doing these great things because either they're posting about it less or they don't have the mental fortitude to just keep going endlessly and endlessly. Like, thank you. Like, I'm glad that you can think about all of these things all of the time and fight all of these battles. That's fantastic. And I'm so grateful for you, but I can't do that. I didn't realize how much George Floyd's murder affected me until someone made a comment about it in class that week. I was in summer school and then like it was an online class and I remember just having to like write something in the chat and then I just turned off my computer for the rest of the day and my friend was like hey what happened I was like I'm like I just I'm not okay like this is upsetting me way more than I realized and I really just had to step away from social media for a while and step away from people for a while to really think about that I couldn't be as active as I wanted to be about the issue because it was just way too much for my mental health so I guess I think you raise a really good point about how yes there's a bandwagon but then there's also a specific way of not or of how not to address the bandwagon nature if that makes sense to this end as well i think there's a way like you know everything is in a loop there's positives and there's negatives to everything but kind of what i'm also interested to know is about how social media has robbed us of for lack of a better phrase, the ability to just have face-to-face interactions, to communicate in the physical space, to have propinquity with one another. How do you think social media specifically has impacted our ability to just sit in a room and talk to each other or to be, or to unplug, I guess? Now that my friends and I are a bit older, we're trying to look for jobs and stuff, we've been more busy. And since we say like, oh yeah, we can always just you know, touch based on our text message and group and we'll just make groups and we'll meet up on FaceTime or something like that. I feel like it just kind of loses the touch that like we must hang out with each other. It just like take a day off. It doesn't matter. Like I felt like that was towards my beginning of summer where I was, we're all just stressed out about school and how we want our summer to be like, you know, the time for us to make money and stuff. And I understand that. But then now that I'm kind of like, like after past the first like the first few weeks of the summer that we kind of just talked to each other and we were like maybe we should actually put some effort to more help each other like actually meet up and talk and just it doesn't matter where we go I just want to look at each other and be in physical presence not just be online and just being at home like I feel like it just misses that touch of you know, being authentic. Like, I don't even have to talk when I'm in person. I can just look at that, them. They can talk to, you know, each other and I could just watch them listen and laugh. I guess, like, I just really missed that when I was um, with my friends. But then other than that, maybe, like, I don't speak for other people, but obviously maybe others do like that and they find it more convenient in their life. Maybe they are far away and they find it more, you know, just works out with each other. But for me, I feel like it just... Why not? If you have that chance to meet each other, why not like be physical? I find it just wasting our time to when we have the chance to, and it, we're just taking it for granted. Rachel has me like almost like tear eyed right now because I'm reminiscing on like elementary days or even high school days where 
um, we actually did that. Like we hung out after school. We would, you know, be in the community center basement singing. But it's just like it's simplicity. We don't have to be doing the most, but just the presence of your friends, um, knowing that these are people who like you, who enjoy your company and you also enjoy their company. You like them. That was just a nice moment. And now, like, I feel like social media or Internet on a hold. But, you know, let's say specifically social media. Um, it almost gives us an excuse to not have face to face, even when we can have face to face. And for me personally, it's it's not as satisfying. I'm not the most extroverted person. I'm really not. But I still like to like have the presence of somebody who I enjoy. And, you know, likewise, they enjoy my presence. There's just something very special about that. And I think that's just human. So what I'm hearing from both of you is that, you know, it's less about being unable to speak to people and forgetting how to engage with people and more so just kind of taking for granted that it's something we can do and really forgetting how nice it feels to be in proximity with your friends and to do things and have like that physical contact from like a hug to a high five. So it's less about stuttering over your words in the McDonald's drive through and not really knowing how to talk to people. It's just, it's more so... It feels like there's less of a need for it because there are other ways to get that connection and therefore we forget what it really means. The last thing I think I want to discuss regarding um, just like the way social media changes, the way we interact with the world is kind of the discussion of appearances versus reality. We touched on it a while ago where we discussed how everyone's kind of Put, putting forth their most romanticized, doctored, controlled lives on social media while keeping the things that aren't so pretty behind the scenes. And I feel like that idea of appearances versus reality can really connect to the idea that you don't know what someone's going through unless they tell you or unless they show you. You only know what people are giving you to work with. So I kind of want to expand this discussion a little bit and bring it back to homelessness and youth homelessness and, you know, adjacent social issues, because at the core, that's what we do as an organization, as REST. So I want to kind of ask how you two would connect the same idea of appearances versus reality to the discussion of youth homelessness. It goes back to Don't Judge a Book by its cover. I hear a lot of times, you know, um, oh, well, this person looks young. You know what I mean? They look like they they can go back and work and I'm supposed to just give them money just like that. And yet you can't see mental disabilities. You cannot see emotional disorder. And those things are things that restrict persons and, 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 and impair their ability to function well in the workplace at times. And so, yes, they can look physically healthy and look like they physically have it together, but there are different aspects of our being that, you know, if they're not functioning well, it's going to be hard to function um, in the workplace or whatever the sphere is. And that's just one example. And then you have on the flip side, or actually in the same same line, somebody who, you know, they, they, they look like well put together and, you know, they smell good and they're talking and they're so intelligent. And then you find out they're living in their car. So it just goes back to just not looking at the the outside, not judging the outside to determine what the real situation or circumstances or the state that that person is in, but asking the right questions and just, you know, being, I think it goes back to being a critical thinker in the sense that you're, you understand that what meets the eye is not always the case. Um, there's, there's deeper things that we can't see. I also want to add on don't believe that whatever you just see 
because of course like Cheyenne said that you have to dig deeper you have to understand what is maybe that person's going through you don't know everything you don't know their whole story you don't know their whole journey you don't know the challenges you don't know what they maybe achieved and you don't know what their day looks like their day-to-day maybe they're struggling but they were really good to overcome it and they were fortunate and now they're like they're at their best stage you can't just be like judging and saying oh they used to be this they used to be that but just being appreciative congratulating them for whatever they have but also trying to be you know nice how i don't know how to phrase it in a way but just in a way open your mind i think that's a good place to end it but before i do i'm going to ask the question that i ask all of my guests and that is where do you want this discussion to go what should i and our listeners tackle first So I think that the youth should, or anyone, any individual in the public, they should just try not to believe everything you see, try to, you know, give yourself a time to consider if it's right or wrong, but also trying to keep yourself updated. But also, if you can't handle social media, please do not force yourself just because your friends are on it and you need to connect with them. Be on it to connect with them, but don't force yourself to listen or be forced to follow a certain page just don't do it just feel whatever you feel comfortable with you you know what your mental well-being is able to handle trying to live your life for me it's just value yourself value your mental health value your emotional health Um, know your limits know your capacity and just respect that because we're human we can only handle so much um you know by ourselves we can only handle so much and so if like rachel said like you're feeling burdened you're you're looking at the news on your timeline and you start to feel burdened like it's just probably that time to step away um if you don't see how you can contribute to a solution to that issue or be a part of the solution then step away and just respect that 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 limit on your capacity but definitely value yourself and have a firm foot in know where to stand and don't be afraid to stand alone because sometimes you will have to do that and go against the crowd but eventually some members of that crowd will come over to your side Social media in the new world it fosters have fundamentally changed the way we interact forever. As Cheyenne and Rachel explained, social media, when used carelessly or even maliciously, can create a harmful space for everyone, old and young alike. If we continue to let social media be a space that fosters doomism, mental health issues, and hyper-individualism, we might reach a point of no return, drifting farther and farther away from compassion, positivity, and care for those around us. Let's work together to keep social media a powerful, positive tool for liberation. Let's advocate for those in need, hold each other accountable, and make social change together. This wraps up this episode of Homelessness in Hiding, our Youth Between the Cracks. If you are interested in supporting a cause tackling youth homelessness, I invite you to visit our website, restcenters.org. That's R-E-S-T-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn more about our mission and how you can support the cause. If you found solace here, learned something new, or think we have something of value to offer, you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Maya Moniz, signing off. This podcast has been brought to you by The Rest Centers. Through the special dedication of our coordinator, Maya Moniz, our Director of Youth Engagement, Romaine Redman, and REST's Executive Director and Founder, Dag McCoy. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively those of the hosts and guests involved and have no affiliation with the Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center.